You know, Daryl said about eight something. It was thirty degrees. I don't know what it was all night, but it was sure cool. <laughs> Somewhere around one o'clock, I heard about three coyotes sitting out there, and I knew they had to be just on the other side of where uh, Abby and uh, Mackenzie were staying, because they sounded that close. And then I got up. I couldn't take it anymore. I was pretty cold. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a warm-natured person. I love Florida and places like that. But this is a beautiful country here. So you who are in, mo- in campers or in homes and you've got a fire going, enjoy it. But you can also come outside and enjoy it with us too. <laughs> Let me find page one here. I got about thirty pages, so I'm, I'm limited to uh, till twelve, or maybe just an hour, for your benefits. This sermon I've got is is uh, dedicated to one person. For the rest of you, it might be beneficial. That one person is myself. So, you know, there's a lot of times that you you think and you look at your life and. Uh, you find you make mistakes and here and there, so as praying about what to speak on, and, uh, it kept coming into my mind, this is a good sermon for you. <laughs> so, basically, it's, it's for me. And if you get some benefits out of it, hopefully that'll help too. So, why are you here? I know Mr. Armstrong used to say that all the time, and I think the same thing. Why am I here? Why did... I come to the Feast of Tabernacles. And I gave it some thought. The first thought came up with because God commands us to be here. You know, we could go to Leviticus 23 and, uh, and read it. Well, I'll go through that a little bit here. God said to keep the Feast of Tabernacles in the seventh month on the 15th day of the month. That's today. I went out there the other day and looked up there at the moon with one of my grandsons and said, that was, that was last night, I think. Look at that. we got a full moon. It must be the 15th. It's got to be the Feast of Tabernacles. In Leviticus 23.33 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses. Well, it was written for us, the church today, and for all society. Speak to the children of Israel. The church is the children of Israel. We can go to uh, Hebrews 12.24. 22, I think, says, points it out. So, speak to the children of Israel. Say, the fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the eternal. Seven days. So, we've got seven days. Or almost seven days. We've got six and a half days left. And it comes and goes so quick, it will disappear before you know it. So enjoy and take the time that we're here to enjoy the feast, to grow and to learn. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation, a gathering of people, and that is today. And that's why we are here, because God commands us. Second reason that you're here. We're here, as Daryl pointed out in in the opening prayer, We're here to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. You find that in Zechariah, 
where you see where in the millennium, if the people do not come on the 15th of the seventh month to worship the king, they're going to suffer. God is going to make it difficult so that they learn to come and worship him. Israel spent 40 years through the wilderness. And he said, I did that because I want you to love me, to worship me, and to honor me, and to bring you down to that point. I'm humbling you that you're going to come and worship me. So that's going to happen in the millennium to those people that decide, hey, I don't want to go to the feast. Well, you will. And you'll learn to love God and learn to live in peace and happiness. So we're here. The second point is to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. Turn to Micah. Chapter 6. Micah 6, verse 8. He shall show you, O man... He shall show you, human beings, what is good and what does the eternal require of you. What, what God expects out of us. Being here at the feast is a requirement. He expects us to be here. What He requires of you, but to do justly, and that's an opportunity to learn, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk Humbly in front of your God. So we're here because God tells us and He wants us to grow and to learn things His way. And again, back in Isaiah 66, Isaiah 66, verse 1, I mean, verse 2, for all these things, of course, we'll go back to verse 1. Thus says the Eternal, the heaven is my throne. God's pointing out. The heaven belongs to him. That's where he dwells. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all these things has my hand made, and all these things have been, said the Eternal. But to this person, this man and woman, this human, will I look even to him that is poor and contrite spirit and trembles at my word. So we're here because we're commanded. We're here because we're learning to be humble and because we're here to honor the King, the Lord of hosts. God created everything. Turn, if you would, to uh, Psalms chapter 24. God, everything belongs to God. He made it all. Psalms, verse 24. We'll go through the whole psalm. Verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all that dwells therein. He's pointing out. It is His. He made everything. You can go to John 1 and read where it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. So now we're hearing there are two beings. We can go back to Genesis chapter, I think it's 2. says, God said, let us make man, let us, plural, make man in our image. So in, in John, he says, everything was created by him and for him. So Christ 
who became the Word, who became Christ, created everything. Said he has founded, uh, founded it upon the sea and established upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hills of the eternal? Or who shall stand on his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. So we're learning something that God expects from us. He shall receive the blessings from the eternal and righteousness from the God of our salvation. This is a generation of them that seek Him, that seek your face, O Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your, uh, lift up you everlasting doors and the King of glory shall come in. So if we're seeking God here at the feast, He says He's going to come. He will be with us. The King of glory will be with us. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up them up, you everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts is the King of glory. So Psalms 24 tells us that if we will put our hearts and effort and energy here and enjoy the feast and learn here, because this is a, as I got for the third point, this is a training camp. We're here to learn. We're here to learn how to worship the King, the King of glory. So we have a great opportunity to put our heart and effort and energy into serving God. When Christ returns, He's going to reward each one of us by the effort and energy we put in. You slack, you're not going to expect much. But if you put your heart into it and give 100%, and here at the feast... You're going to have to put as much into it as you possibly can to make this the greatest feast. So we have an opportunity to learn and to grow and put a great effort into it and to worship the King. Matthew chapter 16. We're here to worship the King. And we have to understand that He's in looking into your hearts and minds, your attitude, to see who you are. He says here in Matthew 16, verse 24, Then said Emmanuel to the disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So here Christ says, we've got to put out our own desires. We're not here on a vacation. We're not here to specifically have our own enjoyment, although we are here to enjoy what God has given to us. We're learning to do that, to enjoy what's going to be in the world tomorrow. So that is a learning time. Yes, and we're here to learn about Christ and what He expects out of us. So He said, we have to deny ourselves. 
and follow him. For whosoever will save his life will lose it. Too often we want to go out there and say, I'm going to take care of myself. And so we're going to do it for me. But he said, if you want to do it, if that's your motivation, that you're only here at the feast, you're only here at this place to save your life, then you're not going to make it. We're here to make a change in our life for the world tomorrow. As we said in the, in the opening, or said in the opening prayer, those that are going to make it through the Holocaust are going to need somebody to teach them. And yes, we suffer a little bit here and there. But we, in this country, have so much more. I've been to South Africa. I've seen the majority of the people living down there, what they're like. I can only imagine what it's like over there in Kenya. Where their their best is not even close to our worst. They don't have a lot. And so we've had an opportunity to help those people too. So if you're only here to save your life, you're going to lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. So, yeah, we put up. We might have to maybe lose a job here and there. We might have to suffer a, a loss one way or another. But if it's for Christ, if it's for His purpose, we're going to gain our life, eternal life. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his life? There's a question. What is it worth? They've had programs, they've had songs that talk of trying to Manipulate with Satan. We don't want to do that. We are here to learn to help many other people. And God is going to offer to us a great, wonderful opportunity. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. Paul was inspired to say that Christ is going to look down on your life. And whether you do good or bad, you're going to come in front of Christ. So we need to strive to be at one like they were in Acts chapter 2 and it says they came together on a day of Pentecost and they were all on the same page all in the same mind with one accord so we're here learning to do that too to be at one accord and we're here to learn to follow Christ's example he didn't come to to be served, he told the disciples, he said, I'm not here to, to be served by you, to be, you know. He was the one, remember, in John, that created everything. He was a, the being that 
fashioned everything here. In Psalms, we're told he owns all the gold. He owns all the cattle. But he didn't come here to be that person. They have a program on TV I've seen a couple times called The Undercover Boss. You know, those people that had the, that were the heads of big companies were willing to go down and humble themselves to a worker to see how their company ran. Christ is the ultimate undercover boss. Because remember, everything was his. In John it says he, everything was created by him and for him. So he owned everything. And yet, he was willing to come and to become very humble enough that he served the people. So we have an opportunity to do that too, to serve each other. The whole time that we're here, we have this great, fantastic opportunity to learn to love each other, to learn to share what we have, to learn to grow in grace and understanding and prepare for the world tomorrow. Because when that happens... In the world tomorrow, you're going to have a lot of people that have gone through an awful, hellacious time. Suffering, watching family members die. Friends die. And maybe some problems with their own body. Being beaten or starved or whatever happens to them. And they're going to be scared. They're going to hide. And you're going to have to come with love and compassion like Christ and serve those people and help them to see that they're going to learn to love the King, the Lord of hosts. So where another point is learning to become humble. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse, starting verse 3. Here Paul was inspired to say, Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory. So whatever it comes down to us, it's not for battlement or to say, Hey, I did all this. Look how good I am. No, it's not done for strife, for fighting, which we see so much in this world today, or for vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let us esteem others better than themselves. That's a difficulty. That's why I said I dedicated this thing to myself, because I find it difficulty to esteem others better than myself. Do you have that problem? Do you always think, I have the answers, I'm the only one that can do this? It's easy to do that. It's easy to pick that up. But you know, other people have a lot of qualities, a lot of capabilities. Remember Moses was up there in Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy or Numbers. Anyway, they, Korah, Dathan, and Byra came up to Moses and said, Who do you think you are? Korah wanted Aaron's job. Dathan and Byron wanted Moses' job. And they didn't esteem 
Moses to the quality that he had besides God put him there anyway. And what did Moses do? Well, he was called the meekest man. But he tore his clothes and laid down the ground and said, Forgive them, they don't understand. Now here's the leader of the whole nation at that time. But he also got up and said, Let me tell you people that you're wrong. And he got angry with them because of what they did. So it's not wrong to get angry, is it? It's not wrong to say I'm meek and I'm humble, but also to put people where they belong. Who put Moses in charge? Moses didn't charge it himself. He tried to get out of it. Remember, he was up there guarding the sheep and uh, he was intrigued by a flame of a, a plant burning. He goes over to it. God speaks to him through an angel and says, get your shoes off. You're on holy ground. <laughs> and he said, you're going to go down and lead these people. And he said, I don't want to do that. Didn't have a choice, did he? Didn't have a choice. God put him there. Sometimes it's difficult for us to respect the, the, and esteem somebody else for the position they're given. Like Moses. Like the people that God put in charge even today. Look not every man, verse 4 of Philippians 2. Look not every man on his own things. So don't look at how good I am. But every man also on the things of others. And we'll get that a little later too. And how you're you're not to say, I'm the only one that can do it. Now I know that's a difficulty because I struggle with that at times. I've struggled with that for a long time. You know, but other people have great qualities and great capabilities. Let this mind be in you. So here we're finding out. This is the mind that we should have, which was also in Emmanuel Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You know, in Romans 8, we're told, Romans 8.14 says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Can we look up there and say, Hey, I'm going to be God because I've got God's Spirit. Is it robbery for me to say, hey, I am a son of God. I am a God. It says that in Romans 8.14. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Wherefore we can cry, Abba, Father. Or, God is our Father. If God is our Father, then we are equal with God, are we not? We're gods. We're not going to hold His position. We're not going to be the overall person, but we're still God's. Because He says that we are. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Isn't that a fantastic thing to look forward to? So is it so difficult for us then to go and say what it does here that we 
we remember that other people have the qualities that God has given them. They're gods too. Each one of us has this opportunity. We can be denied it or can deny it. But you don't really want to. Back in Philippians 2 verse 7. But speaking of Christ, remember He's the one that created everything. He's the eternal God that made this planet. He owns all the gold, all the silver, all the cattle. He owns all the people. But made himself of no reputation, but took upon himself a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Christ became a servant. Something that we need to look forward to. In the world tomorrow, we're going to serve those people. Yeah, we'll be God. We will be God, but we're going to serve those people and help them to become God too. We're to marry Christ, so we're going to be the wife, and the ones coming later will be the children and the grandchildren down the line. So he made himself, and we're supposed to be like him. We have to learn that we're going to be servants. And being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the stake. A, a menial thing. But Christ was there. Christ loved us that much that he was willing to give up eternity. And he didn't come here and say, I am God. You will worship me. Well, the scribes and Pharisees, remember one time said, I asked him, are, are you God? And he said, I, that's the job, or, are you the king? And he said, that's where I came here to be. But at that time, he wasn't. So he knew who he was. He knew his position. But he came and served the people. He was honorable in every aspect. And so he became obedient unto death. Our job in the future is to do the same thing. We have to be willing to give up everything that we think is the greatest of physical things. This world. So when we come to the Feast of Tabernacles, we don't have the worldly things here. What we have is God and God's Spirit and an opportunity to learn to become a family. And that is difficult, especially when we're with different backgrounds. But to humble ourselves and learn to love each other with our heart the whole way. So we're here to appreciate uh, being humble. So if we take and look at the way we live our life, there is a contrast between humility and pride. And maybe we need to find out whether we're what we do is pride or what we do is being humble. So I have a few little places here it says the differences between to be able to understand where I stand or you stand in relationship with Christ. Pride, and I borrowed this from someone else, 
and I don't remember who it was, but it's borrowed, but I added to it. Pride says, don't tell me anything. I already know it. I know all the answers. You can't tell me. I'm the best. So pride says, I already know that. I don't care what it is. And yet, a person who is humble, who is meek, learning to do things right, says, thanks for your advance, uh, advice and your help. Thank you for showing me what you know, because maybe there's some things I don't know, or it's going to help me. It's always good to, to get counsel. So a humble person would say, thank you for your help. Thank you for the advice, because now I know a little bit more. Pride, our pride would say, I need, I want, I desire. Sometimes when people go to the feast, that's what they bring up. My needs, I try to choose the place to go to the feast because I need this, or I want this, or I desire to do these things, or our daily life is that way. It's all about me. It's what I need. It's what my family needs, what my things are. But a humble person would say, he needs, and they want, and they desire. So I'm willing to make changes in my life. I can change my life that their life might be a little better. A prideful person would say, God, I am so much better than the other person. Hey, I am, I am really the best out here. I'm, you know, I study, I pray, all these things. But a meek person would say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. It took David a little bit to find that out, didn't it? Psalm 51 shows after David had his needs, his desires, his wants, and he stole his best friends or one of his their better friend's wife and had him killed to cover up. Go to Luke. There's a good example of I'm so much better than you are. Hey, I can do it all. Luke 18, verse 10. Luke 18, 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. The one, a Pharisee, the other, a publican. So we know we've got this racial deal. The Pharisees are the elite. The publicans are the commoner. they got all their problems, you know. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I am not as other men. Isn't that a little bit of pride? Isn't that saying, I'm so much better? I'm not like other men. Let me find it here. An extortioner, unjust, adulterer, even as this publican. So maybe he wasn't an extortioner, but, you know, he's a lower class citizen. And I'm much better than this guy. I fast twice a week. Look what I can do. I give tithes of all that I possess. 
I'm, that's how good I am. But the publican, standing afar off, wouldn't lift up his uh, up so much as his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, "God, be merciful to me, a sinner." Here's a man that understood he lacked a lot. And he humbled himself to that point. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself will be exalted. So you have to look at your life and say, Is it all for me? Am I the best? Or... Maybe there's some things I need to change. A person who has pride would say, would criticize others to tear them down. You know, I find fault with this person. And I, you know, maybe they did the best they could, but hey, look at what they mistakes they made. They, look, at they could have done it this way, they could have done it that way. Pride put yourself at that point to judge the other person based on who you are and what you know and what you understand. And yet a humble person praises the other in order to build them up or to edify them. And sometimes I find that difficult because I know there's a lot of you and a lot of people that I've worked with over the years that were able to do a lot of things a lot better than I could. And so to say, you know, you did a fantastic job. Really did a good job. And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you were able to have that opportunity. So I have to ask myself time to time, where do I stand? Am I being prideful? Am I being full of praise to myself? Or do I willingly accept the abilities of other people? Prideful person exalts himself, but God resists him. Pride says, I'm so great, but yet, you know, we have to look at that aspect of it. God doesn't like it. God does not like pride at all. Where the humble person humbles himself before God and God lifts him up. 1 Peter 5. We went through this not too long ago in the series of sermons there was doing. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger men or younger people, submit yourselves to the elders, to the person of the hoary head maybe. Sometimes as a young person you feel, hey, I don't need your help. I've been in that situation. I've done it. And I've had it done to me. Where you look out there and say, that person, he's just too old. Doesn't understand. I got all this new knowledge. And I've also been that older person. And they said, you know, you're an old man. You don't understand. We got all this new knowledge now. A younger, likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yes, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Come to the point that we can say, 
Yeah, you have a lot of qualities. And you're going to humble yourself. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Well, God's going to take care. So, one of the biggest points in this sermon is basically on being humble. And I don't believe I'll get through all of it, but really to learn to be humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that you may exalt, that He may exalt you in due time. Sometimes we go through trials that just seems, why did I go through this? You know, I I, I was with Daryl coming back from Canab. Uh, we bringing a big tank in. And, you know, everything was going so great. And we had all these things done that we're going to beat. We got this schedule. We're going to follow it. And we got in the middle of an area where cell phone service is basically blank. <laughs> Luckily, my phone worked. And what happened? The truck overheated. We had to stop. And here we are. 15 miles from Colorado City, uh, probably 10 miles from here, middle of nowhere. <laughs> too far back to the gas station, too far forward to get to the house. And we were on a time schedule. We had to turn around and get back to Canab. And the truck is down. You know, those trials, you have to ask yourself, do I get up tight at Myself, I got tight at something else, or do you realize that God says, You got to rely on me and my family, and which we did. So we have to cast, we have to humble ourselves underneath God's mighty hand, learn a lesson, and then cast our cares upon Him because He cares for you. So I casted my cares. I said, Father, I need help. And I walked up on a little knoll, maybe about three or four feet high, and I got phone service and was able to call a brother here. Tried to call my wife. She didn't answer the phone. <laughs> it's hard for her to get to the phone. I understand that. Sometimes if she's quite a ways from the phone, before she gets there, it goes to the entering machine and... But we did get hold of somebody, and they did come and rescue us. And so we learned a lesson. I'm not going to tell you what the lesson was, but we learned a lesson, hopefully. <laughs> pride, with pride, I can do all things. There's nothing that I can't do. I know it all. Uh, I have a tough time with that at times because, you know, I'm like, a jack of all trades and a master of none. Actually, I'm a master of nothing and, and I can handle little things here and there once in a while. But a person with pride says, I can do it. Just give it to me. Where the humble person would say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you're changing the situation to the point that I am God, I can do it all. Or, with the strength of God, 
with his guidance and his direction and his wisdom, hey, I'll get it done. Philippians 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And so the Bible has teaching points there. Yeah, I can't do it all. But if I go to Christ on my knees and say, Today, I need you to be with me because I'm going to make mistakes. So with your help, I get through this day. And through your strength of mind, I can handle any situation that comes down the line. As long as I got Christ is my strength. Ephesians 6, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong with Christ. You can be strong or you can be weak. You can say, I don't need Christ through your actions, through your daily life. But Paul said, Christ inspired him, says, I can be strong in the power and might of Christ. John 15, another good point we bring out during the Feast of Unleavened Breads to the Passover and really read on the Passover day. Abide in me, Christ said. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear its fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. We can do everything through Christ if we are living in Christ. Christ says, I am the vine and you are the branches. You have to be tied to me. You have to be pulling your strength and your energy through me. I can relate that back to beekeeping in Florida and seeing a freeze hit and knowing that the strength in the tree puts out new branches and new blooms and stuff. Where does that come from? Those blooms and leaves all come from the stock. And the energy then goes from the stock into the bloom, into the leaving. That's where I have to get my strength. Every day on prayer and saying, you know, I am not the one that does it all. I don't have all the strength. Abide in the, uh, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him. So we have to, have, we have to be in Christ and Christ in us. The same brings forth much fruit. We will grow and produce the fruit that God is looking for if we are tied to the vine. For without me, you can do nothing. If any man abide in me and he is cast forth as a branch, abides not in me, I'm sorry. He that does not abide in me is cast forth as a branch and withered. And the men gather him up and cast him in the fire and they, bur- they will be burned. We have to be abiding in Christ. If we think we can do it without Christ's strength, we've got another lesson to learn, don't we? If you abide in me and my work abides in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit 
so shall you be my disciples. We're going to glorify God in our actions if we are doing what Christ did. He humbled himself to be a servant. If we're humbling ourselves to be servants, we're going to glorify God. Again, pride says, I want to be served. But that's not what Christ did. A humble person would say, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Do we understand that the world in the future is waiting for us to make the change? Waiting for us to come to that point to say, it's not me. It's not my strength. It's not who I am. It's God's strength. It's Christ's strength. It's who Christ is. I did a sermon several years back and says, it's not about me. It's all about God. It's all about what He's got planned and whether we're willing to be yielding to that strength that He has. Matthew 20, verse 25. Matthew twenty twenty-five. But Emmanuel called them unto Him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. Look at this world. The world expects people to serve them. The new world order or whatever it is that's coming down. They expect you to take care of them. But you shall not be so among you. Us here. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister or servant. And whosoever shall be chief among you, let him be your servant. One is out there helping and giving his life, even so as Christ, even so as the Son of Man came not to ministered unto, but to to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Christ loved you, loves this world, loves the plan of the Father, that he gave up everything. Remember, we went back and went through that where he owns everything, and yet he gave that all up, all that ability, and came here to serve us. And says, we, got to, we must learn to serve other people. Pride would say, look what I did. You know, sometimes that's difficult, isn't it? You, you want to be recognized. Look what I did. Look what I can do. And yet the humble person would say, see what God has done in me. Can you twist it around a little bit, isn't it? How great I am as opposed to honoring God and showing the, the, the glory back to God is what God can do through me. Each one of us should be able to say that. You know, I'm not the greatest, but the things I have done, the abilities I have, all reflect back to God because what I do is because God has given it to me. Pride 
stood in the streets and shouted, Crucify him! Because he became more popular than we are. You know what happened when Christ was crucified? People were not looking to them. Are we going to say, get rid of these people, get rid of this person? Uh, because I don't. I look bad in people's eyes. This person looks much better than me, so I got to get rid of him, so that I am the one that you look at. And a humble person, as our Savior, who set the example, hanging on the stake, looked down toward uh, outward and prayed, "Father." Forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Remember Stephen? Oh, he was a humble man, but he was also strong too. And he pointed out what society, how it came, how the whole nation came from the beginning up to that point. And then pointed out that because of their pride, they've killed all the prophets and they killed the Savior. And what did they do? They stoned him. And as he was dying, he showed his humility by saying, they don't know what they're doing. Don't lay this charge against these people. It's hard, isn't it? Somebody looks down on you and calls you all kinds of names and puts you down to to be humble enough to say, you don't understand. Father, forgive that person they're going to have to learn, but forgive them for what they're doing. It's hard as a human being to do what's right and to follow the right things. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Here we're told how, in a sense, to be humble be kindly affectionate one to another. In verse 10, 12, 10. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Honor is loving each other. Putting them up. Not slothful in business. Fervent in the Spirit. Serving Christ. Serving Emmanuel. Serving their children. Matthew 25 tells us that the way we treat each other certainly is the way we're going to treat Christ. So if we can't serve each other, we're not going to serve Christ no matter what we think. No matter how great we are, if we treat each other rash and harshly, then we're treating Christ that way. Rejoice in hope. Patience in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Praying for other people. Distributing to the necessity of the saints and giving to hospitality. Hospitality is tough. You know, our personalities conflict time to time. And it's hard to be hospitable to somebody that you conflict with personalities. But yet, Christ did. He humbled himself, remember. There at Passover service, they knew he was the teacher. 
They knew he was the coming Messiah. And yet, he got down on his knees, he took a towel and washed their feet. You know, I went to see George in the hospital, and to me, I seen these people do things that I find hard for me to do. But it has to be pretty humbling to clean a person up, to bathe them, to change a diaper on an older person, to clean a wound, to do so many things. And I think to myself, do I think I'm so good and so much better than these people that I can't do that? And here's a person who is in the hospital has to humble himself. You know, I think as an adult, think of yourself. Somebody's going to come in and give me a bath. So you're a woman and you're going to think a man's going to bathe you. Or you're a man and you're going to think these women are going to come in and bathe you. You have to humble yourself an awful lot to be able to accept that. Pride doesn't allow you to do that, does it? Kind of hard to do it. Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. Can we be happy because somebody else receives something fantastic? James tells us that same thing in James 5. When somebody's singing, you sing with them. And they're crying, you cry with them. And when they need help, you pray for them. So can we rejoice with each other? And if somebody is sick and suffering, do we weep right along with them? Be of the same mind one toward the other. Mind not the high things, but condescend to men of lower estate. And and be not wise in your own conceit. Again, still the same thing between pride and being humble. We can think of how great I am, and I'm wise in all my own things. And in reality, we have to learn that that's pride. And we want not to have the pride. God resists the proud, remember. God doesn't like the pride. You can, there's a, a myriad of scriptures that covers why God doesn't like pride. And we've heard time and again Christ up on the mountain with the disciples and they heard God say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He should say, I am proud of His action. No, God was pleased with Him because He was so uh, much an example of how we should live. And his whole life honored God. If it be possible, verse 18, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all people. That's difficult at times, but God expects that from us. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. Don't fight. Walk away. Turn your back. Walk away. You know what happens when you turn your back on somebody wanting to fight? It kind of stops right there. They get frustrated and 
and, and just don't know what to do. But you are walking away and trying to live peaceably with all people. For it's written, verse 19, Vengeance is mine, and I will replace as God. So if we're out here doing our part, striving to honor God in our daily life, God's going to honor you somewhere down the line in His time frame. Sometimes we want it right now. Again, that's back to, I want it for me right now. Not willing to wait on God and do it in His time frame. Therefore, if your enemy hunger, feed him. So if you've got people that you consider not close friends, consider being maybe an outsider or whatever, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. For in doing so, you heap coals of fire down their back. When you show the humility enough to help them, it's going to get to them somewhere down the line. It might take them a while, but it will. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We have a great opportunity here at the feast. We have an opportunity to look at ourselves and see how great I am. Or we have an opportunity to be humble and say, look how great God is, what God has done. So when I look at you sitting here, and I think, look what God has done. He's brought each one of us here. I didn't do it. Daryl didn't do it. God did it. God brought this opportunity to each one of us. Am I willing then to bend over backward, change my thinking it, I can do it all. I don't need anybody else. Or am I willing to say, thank you, Father, for what you've given to us, what you've given to me, this beautiful family, an opportunity to learn. So I have a lot more to say about pride, but out of time. So I've also set it up for the next time I speak to go through it and show us examples or to show how we can develop humility in our own life. I've got several points to show. There are things that we can do, things we can change to let us become the humblest of Christ and be able to help other people.